Acts 1, beginning at verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote, and of course the former book is Luke. Uh, Luke Acts were written by Dr. Luke, Luke the physician. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 9. After he said these things, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. That is God's word for us tonight. So Luke, the author of this book, refers back to his gospel at the beginning of our text and says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then he goes forward from there to write about the ascension. And when we think of Christ Jesus and his work, we normally focus on what he did do. What he did in the past, in other words. His birth at Christmas, right? His suffering, his death, his resurrection, and even his ascension. Those are all past actions. And that's a good focus to have. We need to be grounded in Christ's work in the past. The work he did is our salvation. And it's our foundation for thankful living. But the reality is Jesus is alive and he's doing stuff now too. And we should be very aware of that. And that's what our focus is tonight. And these lessons that we read earlier give us insight into Jesus' work now. Just like all of the work he did do was for you. It was for his people, for his church. So also, the work he is up to right now is for you and for me. This work is for you and me. What's he up to now? Well, one, he is working for our best interest. Specifically, we could describe Christ's work with an occupation, the occupation of advocate, a defense lawyer. We read in the catechism here that he went up to heaven and he pleads our cause there. And in the big sweep of salvation history, that tells us about the priestly work of Jesus. 
The priests in the Old Testament did two major things. They made offerings and sacrifices for people's sins. And secondly, they prayed for the people they were making the sacrifice for. We call praying for someone intercessory prayer, right? Interceding for them. We mediate for them. We, that's going between them and their sin and God. And the priests were a mediator between a holy God and an unholy people. All of that work of the priests was pointing to the work of Jesus. Because Jesus intercedes for us. This is a big part of his work right now. Romans 8.34, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus is at the right hand interceding for us. In 1 John 2.1, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. In Hebrews, Jesus is talked about as our only high priest who has made a once and for all complete sacrifice of his own self, his own body and soul as an intercession for us. We can approach God The only reason we can approach God at all is because of that sacrifice on the cross. And now, Jesus continues that priestly, intercessory work in heaven. He's our advocate. He's a defense lawyer. He's always working for you. He is always on your case. Satan is the opposing counsel. And he's always accusing. But our advocate is always defending us before the Father. Jesus has never lost a single case, and he never will. That means he's not going to lose your case or your situation. There's nothing Satan can accuse you of or bring before the Father that is so bad that Jesus our defense lawyer can't handle it. He turns the Father's eyes from your sins, which Satan keeps trying to bring up to him, but he will thoroughly and successfully keep turning the Father's eyes away from your sins and to himself, to his own perfect righteousness bought on the cross. Everybody needs an advocate in life. You've got one. Jesus. You need someone looking after your best interests. Jesus is. And that's an important part of his work. He is doing that right now for you, believer. A second work that Jesus is busy doing, and this is connected to question and answer 50, He is reigning over all things. It's the work of a regent, a ruler, a king. In the Apostles' Creed, this is the first description of Jesus' work that is actually in the present tense. He was born of a Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. All past tense. And then what do we say? 
We use the old language, so it's a little harder to get. Sitteth at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, right? It's hard to tell because it's old language and we don't use it every day. But sitteth is in the present tense. That's a present tense verb. Sits. He is seated now. So that's not talking about, that's the first time in the Apostles' Creed that we're not talking about Jesus' work in the past. It's not about the future. It's now. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And of course, that's language the Bible uses, so we, could, we can imagine that and picture that. But of course, he's not literally sitting anywhere. God doesn't have a right hand or a left hand. He is spiritually. This is all metaphorical language when we talk of God and these things. But it's helpful for us. It's pointing to true realities. In this case, seated at the right hand, it's a place of honor and glory and power and authority. And from that spot, from that position, Jesus is reigning over all things. Jesus is not sitting in an easy chair taking a long vacation from all the work he already did, though I'm sure he deserves it. He's not just sitting there waiting for his next big gig, the second coming. He's not sitting in a special place of honor just being congratulated and pampered on the amazing job well done on the cross and the resurrection No, Jesus is continuing to work for you and for me, for his church. He is reigning. He is ruling over all things. Really, you might say? Yes, really. In the midst of bombings, in the midst of crimes like locking up three women in a house for ten years, even in the midst of cancer, Jesus reigns. Satan is working still, and sin continues, which accounts for evil. But through it all, Jesus is reigning and directing history towards his goal. And his purposes cannot be thwarted by the evil that happens. We can't figure out how that all works and why things happen that do. In his wisdom, he's decided not to share all of those details with us. But what he does share with us is that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is king. He is in control. He is sovereign. And he loves us. He loves you. Jesus' reign over all things includes the church. He's head of the church. We just had new elder deacon elections here at Faith, and they're going to start their service in June. But no elder or deacon or group of elders or deacons are the rulers of the church. There's no pastor that's a ruler of the church. We believe God has designated special offices people to serve and lead, set aside to be his representatives. But he is truly the head of the church. He is the king of the church. In fact, kind of a cool thing in Ephesians, Paul says there, he rules over all things 
for the church. And that means there's something very central about God's people and God's love for them and mission of the church here, worldwide. Third, Jesus continues to work through you and me. Jesus is in heaven, but his work on this earth is continuing. And we talk about Jesus' earthly ministry as if it were something in the past. Only those three years he walked on the roads of Palestine 2,000 years ago. But the fact is he's chosen us to do his work on earth today. So his ministry on earth continues Me standing up here tonight is an example of that. Because Jesus could send, and I've mentioned this before, Jesus could send, he has tons and tons of angels, Jesus could find other ways to get his work accomplished. He could send an angel to every pulpit, to every church in this country and around the world to very more adequate, more probably, what I'm trying to say is probably better job than I could do or any other pastor do if one of his angels who follow his will perfectly, he could have done that. Could be an angel set aside for every church. But he didn't do that. He could have somehow made it that through his, only through his Holy Spirit, he, through his Holy Spirit, he directly ministers to us which he does do, but he could have chosen to only do that. We could think about every other area of life, not just the church, service, teaching, helping those in need. He instead has chosen to use people, to use you and me. He pours out his gifts from heaven, we read, through the Holy Spirit, so that we are empowered to do the work. What is the work? Well, Big picture, to love and serve God and to love and serve others. Matthew 28, when we read about the ascension there, Jesus also gives the great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. The way we've organized that and think about it here at Faith is experience God's word, express God's love, equip God's people. We believe that that summarizes in a very excellent way the Great Commission for how we see it happening here at Faith in our day. Sometimes we feel inadequate to be of service in the mission of God. And, and maybe you look at someone else in the church and you think, oh, if only I was as gifted as that person with that person's ability to speak or to pray in front of people, that person's boldness for Jesus to talk to his neighbor, and I don't even know what to say. If only I had that person's optimism, I just always seem to be pulled down. But the reality is, and the comfort is, for each one of you tonight, and me, Jesus can work with anyone. He's worked with a slave trader He's worked with a persecutor of Christians. He's worked with adulterers, murderers, a thief on death row, people who can't speak well. 
Every Christian can fulfill God's calling and purpose for them. Every Christian can participate in the work of Jesus on earth. And it's so cool that Jesus doesn't just give us one gift. Did you catch that? I told you to remember everything we read earlier. Did you catch that? It said gifts. He, didn't, he doesn't pour out his gift on his members. Gifts. And it's not just a trickle. Do you remember the language? He pours out his gifts on us as members. That means that every church, every individual Christian, you have what you need. You maybe don't have the gifts you exactly want. Sometimes we admire in other people what we don't have. You might not have what you want, but you have exactly what God wants you to have. And when you work for the Lord and you find your purpose in that, and we talked about that a little bit this morning, you find your joy in that, what that means is you are where he wants you to be. What that means on the flip side is that you are where Satan does not want you to be. He loves it when God's people are floundering, aimless, majoring in the minors, not working hard for the Lord. But watch out when God's people get in focus and in tune with God's will and God's work and God's mission in this world. We can expect attacks then. And that's why it's added, again, in the stuff we read, that I'm sure you're remembering all this. That's why it's added that in the midst of our calling of serving the king, this promise of protection, did you catch that? By his power, he defends us and keeps us safe from all enemies. That's really important for believers who are following God's will and seeking his will for their lives because Satan will go after you. Satan will go after churches who are accomplishing things for the Lord. But the king will protect us and keep us safe. He'll see us through even when it gets rough. Even when we are attacked, and you will be attacked, You'll be kept safe. That's a promise for today. It's a promise for all eternity because Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hands. Our salvation is secure in King Jesus. One final thought about Jesus' work now. Right now, the Bible tells us, he is preparing a place for you. And that preparation is part of his work too. And that's connected with Jesus being in heaven in the flesh. His flesh being there, one of us in heaven. That's a guarantee that we who belong to Jesus will be there one day too. John says in chapter 14 verse 2, He records Jesus saying, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I don't know exactly what that means or or how he can 
be spending all that time in the preparations. But this is Jesus we're talking about, and it's heaven. So it's way beyond us. The best that I've ever been able to do with my little mind, and I've shared this with you before perhaps, you'll remember it, and it's to imagine going home for the holidays. My parents live in Allegan, Michigan. We have a Christmas Day service here at Faith, so we usually get there after Christmas for our Christmas celebrations. My mom and dad are doing preparations. To be honest, my dad doesn't do a whole lot. It's my mom. They have been working hard preparing food, and our girls know that they can expect all of this when we go there. And the same thing in Sarah's moms, but I know my own parents a little better. They're making sure our beds are all set. We can expect some Christmas lights have been put in the yard to greet us. They've bought us presents. Everything is very clean. They want us to have the greatest time when we come home. They're preparing the place for us, you see. And Jesus is too. And, and, and all I know is that I can spe- expect it to be even better than going home to my parents for Christmas. As great as that is, this is going to be so much better. And there's something else about all of that. What happens at the holidays, big family gatherings, does everyone arrive exactly at the same time? Of course not. Some people get there earlier. And when I think of heaven, I think of how that works in our lives. Some of our loved ones have gone home already, haven't they? We've, we've laid a couple of loved ones to rest from this church just in the last few weeks. Every one of you has someone close to you, I'm sure, that has gone there ahead of you. We're not all going to go home at the same time. But on that great day, we will arrive, knowing that the preparations have been made. Those who have gone before are going to hug us and greet us, I'm sure, with tears running down all our cheeks. And we'll be home for good with Jesus. We do our work for him now in the church, in the broader kingdom, in the world. And he does his work now too, looking forward to that great day. It's enough to keep us going. That hope, that guaranteed reward, that joy.